0: everyone. This is Mitchie and welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. So for this evening's episode we have a very special one that we're going to do tonight. We're going to go over some of the or some of my favorite Appalachian folklore and legend tales that I had growing up in the region as a kid and even now. Um, For anybody who's not familiar with the region it's just the, like I said, just the area that I grew up in. The south, going up into even parts of Canada. And because of how diverse and how large of a region it really is, it's full of so many different tales that I could spend hours and even days talking to you about it. And from person to person and region to region, it just... It's full of so many amazing and just mind-boggling stories it's unreal but I'm gonna just talk about three of them today that are kind of more so I guess pertinent to the area that I live in because I've heard about them that much more frequently probably more so because my mother had always talked about them or she always had some sort of those stories um, playing in my house either on the tv or something like that Now, I do also want to preface by saying the beauty of all these folklores and all the legends is that um, a lot of these do happen to stem from, you know, indigenous culture, from all the people that were here before any of the settlers had come in and taken the land for what it was. So I can say at least one of the stories that I am going to talk about today is definitely from the indigenous lore and legends And I can never do these stories justice. So there is always definitely room for approval and always room for correction if there's anything that I do get wrong. So please, as always, feel free to let me know if there's anything that I do get wrong. But these are, like I always say, things that I have heard from growing up in my region. And I've always been told, not only from my mother, but from people around me in this region in Appalachia especially a very common saying is you should always be careful when you look in the trees because you never know what might be looking back. So let's get started with the three tales for today, shall we? The very first tale that I would like to talk about is one that's more ghostly and more spooky and happened to be A more pop culture referenced one if I may. Anybody who is familiar with the Blair Witch Project is definitely familiar with this tale or somebody who's just an adrenaline seeker and loves to go to tourist traps I should say. Uh, This is the tale in the case or however you want to word it this is the Bell Witch. Uh, The Bell Witch is known as the Bell Witch simply because of the family that she terrorized. Uh, Funny enough, like I said, it happened right here in my home state of Tennessee. About a four and a half hour drive from where I live. In the city, what is now known as Adams, Tennessee. And it's in the county of Robertson. And it caught, it's always caught the attention of a lot of people. You know, proclaimed ghost hunters that tend to go now more towards a cave that's located on the property because they say it's got all like the ghost activity and all the paranormal activity but to each its own I've never been up there so I couldn't tell you what's for but I've all I've always heard something along the lines of you should never take anything off of that property because misfortune will follow you of course, that could something that could follow something along the lines of the, the legend trippers that go there. And, of course, adrenaline seekers go there because they want to see if they can experience something of what the Bell family had experienced all those years ago. And, of course, history buffs alike because it was a part of history. The Bell family were real people. So this was a story that was so widespread at the time that even as far back as the 1800s, when President Andrew Jackson was alive, he was even familiar with the tale of the Bell Witch. And he himself was an adrenaline junkie as well, who wanted to experience the Bell Witch for himself. So you could call him an adrenaline junkie or a legend tripper, because he wanted to see, for his own likelihood, if he could try to trigger an encounter with the Bell Witch. Now just who exactly the Bell Witch was, um, nobody is really sure. Depending on who you talk to um, really kind of varies on the situation. So from person to person and version to version there's been many different origins on who exactly the witch was. One version is that this was a person who was once a very happy person in life, but their identity is not actually known. It was only stated that they were very unhappy and grew resentful, and when they died, they were buried in the nearby woods of the property that John Bell bought for his family, and they grew very Resentful because their grave had been disturbed because he bought this property that was like a thousand acres. Now, that story was never verified, so that just seemed to be a myth. Another tale, of course, brought up the mentioning of, you know, indigenous Native American burial grounds. That was always a common one that was brought up. And of course, once again, it was disturbed and it was disturbed because John Bell bought this property for he, his wife, and all of his nine children because he had such a huge family, and once he disturbed this burial ground, it caused issues for the family. Then, another theory popped up. Another event was that the witch come forth and stated that she was everything and everywhere, she was heaven, hell, and earth, having been created for a million years. <laughs> Loki, to me, sounds very demonic like she was saying she was Satan. Sounds very creepy. Um, but that wasn't even proven either. Um, one of the more convincing of the stories, though, had to be that... um. People claim that she was the spirit of a woman named Mary Catherine, or aka Kate Batts, who had been an unfriendly neighbor of John Bell, who quote-unquote had been in a beef or a quarrel because she believed that she was cheated out of the property that John Bell had rightfully, or quote-unquote he had rightfully bought, but she believed that she was rightfully due the land. And it resulted in her having a major grudge, and aka she became a grudge spirit. But a lot, when you look at it historically, she could have just been viewed as a scapegoat because this wasn't um, what could have been seen as a proper thing of the woman of the 1800s. The reason why, when you look really deep into it, she didn't speak the way that many people believed women of that time should have been properly speaking quote on from what I looked in articles a lot of people said she used improper language so apparently she might have just been saying shit or fuck too much and they didn't like that um, and they also said she acted in ways that others thought was strange they thought that maybe because of that she was using black magic so I guess she was out there dancing and having raves and they just didn't like that So because she didn't dress and act like a proper lady of the 1800s and she said too many swear words possibly, they thought she was a witch. So she became a scapegoat and they blamed her. And the fight itself, looking into it more, it wasn't actually between Kate and John. The fight was actually between her husband's brother and John. So she was never actually directly involved in it. But the facts got tangled up with the rumors through time, and she just became the perfect scapegoat. But of course, you know, never let the facts get it twisted for a good story. But we're still going to go into the legend of the Bell Witch, because this is what the whole story is about. It's still a mystery on who the witch actually is. But around the years of 1817 to 1821 is when we see the disturbances actually begin to occur on the Bell Farm. So John's youngest daughter, Betsy, seemed to be a big target of the witch. The witch did not seem to like her. Of course, she didn't like John either, but she really, really did not like Betsy at all. In one of the first appearances we saw of the witch... Was a reported dog like creature, a black dog like creature on the Bell Farm. And when this dog appeared, John had come out to fire a like a warning shot of some sort at the dog creature. And when he fired this shot at the dog, the dog vanished into thin air. And this, like I said, was just one of many many appearances the witch would be making on the bell farm. She would continue to make appearances throughout the farm, making all sorts of disturbing noises just mentally and emotionally torment the family. noises that would include the sound of you know choking people when there was no one there to even be choked. The sound of heavy chains dragging on the floor, the sound of loud cackling, and the sounds of rats gnawing on the posts of the bed when there was no source of rats or no source of the sound to be made whatsoever. Um, not only that, um, of course, this being the 17 to 1800s, there were slaves working on the farm, and the witch was notorious to be known to torment these slaves as well and eventually um, she got physical not only with slaves but with the family as well and the physical reports with the family alone were pinches hair pulling slaps and punches and three of the children were primary targets that being a of Joel Richard Uh, Richard Williams, excuse me, and especially Betsy, like I said, because she was one of the most favorite targets of the witch. So, she would take her aggression out on these kids constantly, like picking them up, throwing them, yanking them across the floor and all that. However, um, Despite her mentally, physically, emotionally tormenting the family, the witch still claimed, like verbally claimed through the family and with the family's claims and everything, said that she had a favorite bell child. And this bell child, she said, was Lucy. And she claimed Lucy to be the most perfect woman to live And when Lucy would be sick, she would sing to her and would stroke her hair and would just baby her. And um, the son, John Jr., said that he would actually sit and have conversations with this witch as well. So it showed that the witch had some sort of humanity about her as well. But when asked if he ever would um, talk to her or have any kind of like one on one, heart to heart, he said he actually showed, he would never actually show true care for the spirit because he didn't want to, um, I guess he didn't want to show like kind of a weakness or anything because he felt like she was demonic or something and he didn't want to lose his soul to the devil. But to each his own. But all those tiny little bits of good... Not even all those. Those tiny little bits of goodness that the witch would show to just a few of those childrens, You know, kind of like a toxic parent showing favoritism for just a tiny little bit before going back to just being rude as shit for the rest of the time. Yeah, things got eventually so horrible in the Bell household that John got desperate and decided that he was going to have to seek help. So he decided that he was going to turn to a friend of the family named William Porter. And William Porter, um, in records, was noted as trying to burn the witch. And there is actually a drawing, and I'm going to put it up on YouTube in the collage that I do, um, where he takes a sheet and he tries to throw it over the witch and everything, but it was of course, unsuccessful. And his way of wording it was um, that the weight of this witch was so heavy and she smelled so horrible and so rancid that it prevented him from doing so. So it seemed like the family was just kind of at a loss. They were stuck being tormented by this witch. So, time continues on, and um, John and Betsy continued to be the two of the family that most continued being abused by the witch throughout the years. And it got to the point where poor Betsy, um, she couldn't live her life. As she got older, she couldn't even have relationships outside of the family. The witch would nag at her, tell her she couldn't have boyfriends. She was good for nothing, essentially. And she had, at one point, somehow managed... To get engaged to a gentleman by the name of Josh Gardner. However, when the witch found out about this, it wasn't that she was necessarily physically harming Josh, but Betsy was so, like, mentally affected at the point, she was literally fainting and so scared she just couldn't properly live. So, she was forced to break off this engagement with Josh Gardner, even though... Betsy and Josh had been, you know, childhood sweethearts. So the toll was just so horrible on this poor child that she could not live her life. I feel so bad. Whether or not you believe in, you know, witches, demons, ghosts, or anything. Whatever kind of pull this had on the family, it definitely had a massive effect on this girl's day-to-day life to the fact that she could not do anything but there was some sort of silver lining i guess you could say for betsy because by i think it was like 18 so i don't know what year it was but she was able to escape the witch she Ugh. Different time, different time. Betsy did end up marrying a former school teacher. And that was her way of fleeing the witch. So, we're going to flash forward after years of not only tormenting the family, but we see that the witch has also started tormenting the neighboring people of the town. The witch um, apparently had gotten bored with tormenting the family and people that would pass by the bell house the witch would you know disguise herself as the dog or whatever um dressing up like in shadow figure would just attack whoever came within close proximity of the house she now decided that she Since she didn't have Betsy to attack anymore, and I guess with all of the bell kids, you know, slowly leaving the house, now she was going to have to settle her score with old John. So John had started to fall extremely sick. We've got, you know, it's 1820, he's fallen ill, he's been laying in bed, so... According to John Jr., he went to retrieve his medicines that night of December 19th. And what he said is where there should have been three vials, there was only one. And in that vial, it was a dark, smoky liquid. Now, per the legend, what is said, um, John was s- sick and unable to move Um, and once he was given this medicine the witch was super giddy and her voice rang out as she was in a sing song tone saying that she finally gave it to old Jack and he would never get up again because she gave him a dose of that the night before and John Bell died the following day on December 20th and at his funeral The witch was said to have continuously sang all these gaudy drinking songs and to have been just completely disrespectful and disruptive of his service. So, that is just the legend of the bell witch. And like I said, in modern times, we were talking about how, um, you know, Andrew Jackson was supposed to be like one of those legend trippers. Who wanted to go and see what was going on for the witch herself. Um, so I looked into that. And what I had found out was. He was traveling around that area at the time. He was traveling with his men in a wagon. When it became stuck while he was going by the Bell Farm. And... A- Apparently, he got so excited that he looked at his men and he started, like, getting so giddy and proclaiming that, Oh, it's the witch, you guys. It's the witch. And, like, around the lot, she, um, her voice could be heard as saying, It's alright, General. Let the thing move on. And she continued to, like, pester the entire crew. And he was so eager to stay the night, but the crew said, Yeah, no, fuck this. We're we're going home. So, eventually, after the crew saying... Hell no to this. We're going home. He finally just like said okay fine. We'll go. And that was it. Yeah that's what I could find out about the Bell Witch. So yeah. She tormented the family from like the 1700s to like the 1800s. um, Until she finally killed John Bell around 1820. Um, And that is the tale of the Bell Witch. So let's go on to the next one, shall we? This next one, anyone in the United States, especially in the South and the West Virginia region, definitely knows of this case. This is the absolute infamous Mothman. Like I said, this is more an urban legend type than it is anything. If you've watched The X-Files or have watched The Mothman Prophecies, you are definitely familiar with this movie. Not movie, but legend. So, the most infamous story that people hear about Mothman, or at least Mothman being accredited for, of course, you know, everybody would know is The Silver Bridge Collapse. But we'll go, I'll go back to this one. Um, for anybody who doesn't know about Mothman, I'll kind of talk about what Mothman is. Um, a lot of people look at him as this thing that's like a mutated type of creature or humanoid creature, stands extremely tall, beady red eyes, huge wingspan, and exactly what the name says. Looks like half man, half moth. And ever since I was a kid, people would always say, oh, it was a government experiment gone wrong. And he hides away in this abandoned um, government facility that's not been used in, like, decades. And he always would, like, come out in the middle of the night and stalk the couples that are in their, you know, those retro-looking cars from the 50s and the 60s as they're going to Lover's Lane. That's what Mothman was known as. And I think that's what he's still kind of known as today for anybody that looks at him. He went from being, you know, something that was feared to something that's a beloved cult classic now. A lot, um, originally when... The fear of him started, he was being compared more to the Sandhill Crane type of bird because, you know, with, they have the red forehead that might. I'm just saying this very loosely because I don't know how you could really mistake this for something that looks like a humanoid man. Flying in the middle of the night, has the red forehead, has a huge wingspan that can be up to 7 foot tall. Flying around. But to each his own. That's what the local sheriffs tried to blow off. Reports of these paranoid children. Or not children. But teenagers. But we'll get into the story here. Sightings of Mothman. Like I said. Date back to. Um, 1966. And his description. Like I said. Has always been the same. A large humanoid like creature. With. Blood red neon eyes. Large wingspan. It goes out huge, vast. We're talking like 7 to 10 feet tall. Not tall, but wide. Um, His most infamous story that people compared him to was with the Silver Bridge Collapse on December 15th of 1967. It happened in Point Pleasant, West Virginia that resulted in the death of 46 people When there was like some sort of beam or some sort of screw that had come loose on the bridge. That caused all these cars that were just sitting up on the bridge to just plummet into the river below. And a lot of people had claimed to have seen this creature flying over the bridge the days prior. And thought that he was like a omen of the bridge collapsing. And that's how he got associated with it. So his first initial sighting was with, of course, the local teens. Um, couples would report seeing this figure flying in the area, and the local sheriff and authorities. You know, like I said, they would blow the reports off as nothing other than you know the large birds of the sandhill crane, which was the bird with the seven foot wingspan. Span, excuse me, span. But witnesses still said that they had this feeling of dread. And they believed it was a bad omen when they saw him initially. And somehow... You know, rumor would spread about him and they thought that he was taking up his vacancy and his home was this vacant nuclear power plant that was on the outskirts of the Point Pleasant area, leading them to believe, of course, that he was a product of a government experiment gone wrong. But as quickly as the sightings of him began, they ceased right after the collapse of the Silver Bridge. And that last sighting was reported right after that bridge collapse of December 1967. And a lot of people were like, well, maybe that sighting was just a coincidence or maybe it was meant to be more. Now, of course, like I said, the bridge collapse was attributed to faulty suspension. Many people still conjured up conspiracy theories that, oh, no, it was a 200-year-old Shawnee Curse. And this curse was said to be the result of the indigenous tribes who were murdered on the land. Which is now the Point Pleasant area. um, Because of a chief who was known by Chief Cornstalk. Um, I want to say his name is Chief Ketuka. And I think I'm pronouncing that name wrong. So please correct me if I'm saying that wrong i feel terrible if i am but um he and his people were murdered and his curse was something along the lines of you have murdered by my side my young son for this may the curse of the great spirit rest upon this land may it be blighted by nature may it even be blighted in its hopes, may the strength of its people be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. And so this happened back in nineteen not nineteen, uh, seventeen ninety four, when the town of Point Pleasant was founded, and the old fort where the chief was murdered. Um his grave was completely moved and people kinda of put two and two together thinking that Oh, because his grave was disturbed, he, like, his spirit and everything is upset, and of course, his people's spirits are upset, so we've, like, this has created a curse. But, of course, this was just a theory. This is just a theory that a bunch of people online had created up, but there's no, there's no way to prove that. So, in 1975, a book called The Mothman Prophecies, which was later turned into a movie in 2002 by the same name, tried to link the bridge collapse with the sightings. And it kind of solidified the sightings as a direct link with Mothman and being a bad omen for the collapse, which now has kind of synced up, you know, his infamy with everything. But nowadays Mothman has actually kind of been fully embraced by the town of Point Pleasant and is known pretty much as the town's most famous resident. And since 2002 there's actually a annual Mothman festival that's held each year and they actually do have a museum and a 12 foot tall metal statue that they have had of the creature since about 2003. He's Gone from being feared and not, nothing much really known about him to wildly loved and talked about in one of the more famous urban legends of the world in, in Appalachia. And actually, now recently, I think as recent as of 2016, somebody had uploaded a photo in the Point Pleasant area saying that there was another possible sighting of Mothman. And some people say that there was a, another possible one of him in the Chicago area. So some people try to say, oh, maybe there's two Mothman. But who knows? But now we'll go on to our third and final one. And this one is the one that actually, um, like I said, is more of the indigenous and kind of has questions on where the tale actually originated. Some people say it um, originated in Appalachia, some say it's more so um, in the Montana area, but um, a lot of people, if they've played the game, you know, Until Dawn, they're definitely familiar with this creature. It's very famous. It's gained a lot of popularity. I've especially seen it a lot on TikTok here for some reason. But this is, um, the Wendigo. Now, I can definitely say, of course, the Wendigo has been known to be found in the colder areas of the world when you're talking about, um, the, um, folklore when they're talking about it. And, of course, in the, uh, Canada's central regions, but of course, the Appalachian Mountains, I have heard a lot of folklore and legend that have found themselves to be talking about stories of the creatures as well. Now, the Wendigo, of course, is a creature with a bloodlust for human flesh, and regardless of however much they eat, they always stay hungry. And, of course, this is where they get the classic cannibal tag from. Mainly, they're thought to have once been humans who are now overtaken by an evil spirit that are now transformed and have long since gone and have strayed away from who they once were. Um, Other versions of the story may say that these are just people who have made deals or pacts with darker beings or evil spirits or even the devil himself. There was a story or a folklore or tale of a warrior who made a pact with a being to save his tribe and sold his soul, and as a result, he was transformed. However, once peace was returned to all of the tribes, the need for the creature that he became was no longer needed. So as a result, he was banished, and the man who had once sacrificed everything that he was was sent away and his soul was outcasted and of course this caused him to become vicious and angry now there are people who believe that it is still possible that the soul of the person still resides within the wendigo where the heart is supposed to be but you have to kill the human in order to kill the wendigo So, in short, even if the person is still within the wendigo, there is no hope. You cannot retrieve the human back. The only way to get them is to kill them. So, there is no hope. So, their only weakness seems to be iron, steel, and silver. And usually the best method has been noted that you have to shatter the heart with a silver stake then you have to dismember the Wendigo with the Silver Axe. So, Silver seems to be the kryptonite of choice for this. I don't remember in the game Until Dawn if they did that. But, uh, yeah, if you do happen to encounter one, definitely keep Silver on hand. Now, as far as physical formations go, they're known to appear as monstrous. Would some kind of form of human characteristic or possibly be human who has long since been possessed by a spirit due to being associated with cannibalism, murder, insatiable greed, or another grotesque taboo? Um, The embodiment of this creature is that of an evil spirit that just devours mankind. Now the evil spirit is known amongst many indigenous tribes with all of these tribes describing the creature as being giant. Like we're talking well over 15 feet in height with fangs and glowing eyes. Horrible claws. Like they'll either have jaundice like yellowing skin or matted hair and have some type of power that causes them to have immense speed or stealth and they're known to be a perfect hunter drawings of the creature as you can see usually show them looking more deer-like or maybe a moose as they tend to be active in the colder months but like i said in the until dawn game they lend They leaned more towards them looking more human, kind of golem like Looking more possessed and cannibalistic. Another major characteristic of them is their smell. Now, they smell purely of rot and decay. It's a notable aspect of them because they're consistently said that they just claw, gnaw, and eat at their own skin... They're always hungry, they're gluttonous, they've got the appetite for human flesh, and of course they're doomed to constantly roam the land for the rest of their lives, or they're just going to starve. So there's nothing, you know, there's nothing humane about them living. So everything about them is essentially dead. So what does the dead do? It rots, Something even more terrifying about them is that they can use mimicry to get what it wants. So many people have reported hearing wailing and cries or even hearing the sounds of their loved ones when they weren't even around or swearing that maybe they had a possible encounter with these creatures as mimicry is their favorite method of seeking their prey. As Wendigos with their matter of hunting is they don't actually stalk and hunt they lure their prey to them some people believe that the stories of the Wendigo was actually more so of a lesson or a response of the indigenous people for the non-native violence that was against them which when i looked into it it makes a lot of sense some think that the wendigo legend um really only came into fruition after the europeans had come into contact with the native americans um it may not have necessarily been like a ghoul type of creature that went bump in the night. But mainly like a concept. Just plain and simple. A concept of like the greed that devours who we are as people. So instead of this actually being a creature in Native American lore. It was just like kind of a folklore to talk to um you know, pass on to their children and everything to teach them how not to let this greed consume you because it will rot you from the inside out. And when it came to, you know, like the disappearing people and the cannibalism in local areas of the past, skeptics, you know, tried to brush it off as excuses on how can you blame people. When you didn't want to starve to death, but regardless of how the Wendigo stories started, many people still believe the tale of this tall, scary creature that lurks in the shadows waiting for you to partake in taboos. But, you know, either way, whether or not it was more so a moral story or a literal tale of a creature that goes bump in the night either way that you want to look at it it still is a very heartening it scares you either way that you go is i guess is the really good way to put it whether it be physical or you know moral it's still absolutely terrifying diving down further people say that if you are Near a wendigo, if this is a tale that you truly believe in, you can easily smell and feel it. Kind of like the hair standing up on the back of your neck. Like, I could not imagine wanting to stay near anything that would smell like death myself. But, yeah. So, we um, if we want to look into a case that actually involved somebody using Wendigo as um, an excuse or not really an excuse I should say that's kind of that's a wrong way for me to word it so excuse me because that is absolutely wrong for me to say because this is the case of an indigenous man he went by the name Jack Fiddler, and if that sounds familiar it's because that was an alias that was actually used in the Until Dawn game too Um, probably because they saw this case and they thought it was clever to use. But um, there was a murder trial at the turn of the 20th century and it involved this man. He was arrested in 1906 for the murder of a Cree woman and he himself was a Cree um, native uh, man himself. And he himself, he had proclaimed to have killed at least 14 wendigoes within his life. And um, the reason why he had done this, he had gone on trial uh, for the murder of this woman, not just by himself, but with his son Joseph, who had participated as well. And his reasoning enough, um, he didn't try to say that he did not kill her. He said that he did. He admitted to it and he was saying it straight up that I had to do this. And this was a matter of um, protecting the tribe exactly as he said. He said, her soul was possessed by this Wendigo. Had I not killed her, her soul would have been possessed and she would have killed the entire tribe. So I had no choice but to murder her. Now, this is definitely, this could have definitely been a culture thing, but unfortunately for Fiddler, who was 87 years old at the time, even in 1907, um, when this went to trial, it didn't really convince the jurors. Um, I guess they didn't really care much about that culture thing, or they looked at this and thought this guy was crazy. Whatever reasoning it was, it didn't matter because he was convicted of the murder and imprisoned. So, they, did, they didn't they did care that his tribe looked at him as a success. Um, they didn't care that all this evidence was brought up that, oh, Wendigos are very notorious to kill. You've got this process that you have to do in order to kill them. They were like, yeah, no. You still murdered her. You're going to jail. But that was um, a case that showed the um, that it's actually used in, that it was used in real life. But those are um, those are some of the cases that not the cases. Those are three of um, the stories and legends that I have. Heard of growing up in the South and growing up in the Appalachian region. And I want to thank you guys for listening to this today and listening to my rambling on. So if you guys have more tales that you would like to hear or have any recommendations as well, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know. You can reach me at manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Manic Manor Podcast. And as always, I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Stay safe out there, and I will see you in the next episode.